Welcome to the Business Leader Podcast. My name is Serena and today our guest has shaken up the legal sector by creating a law firm that breaks down stereotypes, challenges the perception of who a lawyer is and removes the stuffiness involved in the legal environment. She started her own law firm a few years ago and aims to empower lawyers to challenge tradition and encourage innovation in the legal sector. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to receive the latest episodes. We'd love to hear your feedback. Email questions at businessleader.co.uk to get in touch. And now it's time to welcome Alice Stevenson to the podcast. Thank you for having me. We will touch on how you started your own law firm in a moment. Uh, But firstly, I would really like to get to know about you as a person. And I want to ask you, what made you interested in becoming a lawyer in the first place? Um, I don't really have a straightforward answer to this, to be honest. So I decided that I wanted to become a lawyer when I was already working in human resources. So I kind of um, switched careers from HR to law. And I'd been working in HR for a few years, um, but I wasn't really loving it. I kind of fell into it. And I decided that I didn't really want to continue. I couldn't see myself doing that for, um, for much longer. And I was just drawn to law, really. And I don't really know why. Um, I think I thought maybe, you know, it would give me the intellectual challenge that I wanted, that it would give me some security um, as well as a profession. Um, uh, so, yeah, that's kind of where where the decision started, really. So did you have anyone encouraging you to be a lawyer or, you know, maybe when you were younger, was there anyone that you knew that was a lawyer maybe? Or was it really just kind of a decision that you made? Yeah. No, my father was a lawyer and actually that put me off for a very long time because he was he was telling me to become a lawyer and I was absolutely adamant that that was not what I was going to do. (laughs) So I think it had the opposite effect on me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, sometimes it does sort of go that way so it's interesting that you decided to to end up going into that but was it was it sort of a similar area of law that you're in no no very different he went into property so no I mean our experiences in law have have been very very different so yeah it's just one of those one of those strange things I think lots of people um, have really good answers to that question. I always feel like mine is a little bit rubbish, but <laughs> no, definitely not. That, that was a good answer. That was definitely a good answer. I'm wondering about what your experience to uh, becoming the CEO and founder of Stevenson Law, your your law firm, what that experience was like. So, how did you go from just studying law to then realizing that you wanted to have your own firm, and how did that materialize? I mean, it took quite a few years. So I went back to university to study law in 2007. I qualified as a solicitor in 2011 and I started my own law firm in 2016. I started my own law firm. So before before I started Stevenson Law, I was working as a freelance solicitor and I'd been doing that for about three years. And before that, I was working in private practice in what we kind of call big law. So the sort of big corporate law firms, top 20 law firms. And I'd really decided that that wasn't the right environment for me. I um, I didn't really enjoy it. I, I knew that I was a good lawyer. I was good at my job, but it just wasn't the right environment for me. I just didn't felt like I fitted in at all. So I left and started working as a freelancer, mostly with in-house legal teams for about three years, which I did enjoy. 
but I couldn't really see myself continuing that indefinitely. It's very hard to kind of progress. It's hard to kind of achieve very much um, when you're doing something like that, because I think when you're working as a freelancer for a company, you kind of, you're always held a little bit at arm's length. It's quite a strange dynamic. So I think the reason that I started Students in Law was because it was the only way that I could see myself staying in law, to be honest. I definitely wasn't going to go back to another law firm. And I didn't want to be employed in-house because I really like the variety of working with multiple clients. So that's kind of the decision that I made is I'm just going to start my my own law firm and, and do things the way that I want to do them and the way that I think they should be done. And you mentioned that you didn't feel particularly at ease or you don't really like the legal sector from what you experienced back then. What about it put you off or made you think, I need to create my own thing that is the way that, that I imagine a law firm should be or could be? So there's lots of sexism in the legal industry. There's lots of gender inequality. Still, I was um, a working mother, so I had um, I had children at the time. And there was definitely a challenge around juggling your career with your family. There was very much a culture of presenteeism within the offices that I was working Um, And comments would be made when I was sort of leaving at 5.30 to go and pick up my children, you know, calling me a part-time worker and, you know, and things like that. And just generally, it just never felt like a very inclusive, welcoming environment. It was very kind of rigid, rigid environment, no real room for creativity. Nobody really interested in my opinion on things. I didn't feel like I could make any impact other than doing the billable hours and and the work that was put in front of me. I felt like I could add very little value. And that wasn't really through, you know, want of trying, but they just weren't, they just were never interested. I was, you know, a junior lawyer at the time and they just wanted me to just, you know, churn through the, the contracts that I was doing and get as many billable hours in as possible and, I felt more like a machine than a person, I think. I think what's interesting about the legal sector is that, you know, so many other sectors have really progressed or like made progress in the way that they've become a lot more inclusive. But the way that I view the legal sector from the outside looking in, it really doesn't seem, um, it, it really does seem as though it's it's still very similar to how it was maybe like 30 years ago. I think that's fair. I mean, I think it's probably more than 30 years. You know, the progress has been really slow. I think it's a very elitist profession. It's very difficult to get into. I don't have any any figures to hand, but we know that the majority of solicitors working in the profession went to private school. They went to Russell Group universities. There's very little social mobility within the profession and there's very, very poor diversity levels it's not just about gender inequality it's about inequality across the board really and you know ultimately it's an industry that's been created by white men and white men are the ones that are benefiting the most from the way it is at the moment and then there's very little incentive for for change I think things are gradually improving particularly as people like myself are you know actually standing up and challenging things and there are other people doing the same which is great but it is it is taking too long for sure. What are some of the ways in which we can make this sector more diverse as you say or 
restructure it potentially in a way that makes becoming a lawyer not just available to like an elite group of people who have the capability to uh, to go to these Russell Group universities or you know these top schools for example so there have been some recent changes to enter the profession so that you can now get an apprenticeship within a law firm which you know, I think is a great idea. They're changing the training contract route to qualify as a solicitor, but still it's very expensive. It costs a lot of money to qualify as a solicitor. And and I think for many that's unaffordable. So I think part of it is just making it more affordable, providing more support for people who can't afford it. But I think also part of it is around role modelling people that wouldn't necessarily consider entering law a lot of people are written off at a very young age for certain careers by their families or by their schools. And that not might not be fair, might not be right. And actually, there's probably lots of people out there that would make fantastic solicitors, but they just never really consider it seriously as an option because the barriers maybe seem too great. So I definitely think that there's a lot of work that needs to be done to make it more accessible, but also to inspire people from, you know, all different backgrounds to consider it as an option for them. Yeah, definitely. And I think really sort of every industry can take a leaf out of that book of there being a variety of role models for young people to be able to uh, to aspire to or just see someone who they identify with so that they feel like they have the potential to to be able to to, to go into that role, uh, definitely. You made the decision to go 100% working remotely during the pandemic. Would you go back to an office or have you been sold on the upside of remote working? Um, no, we do. I mean, we won't get an office. For us, I think remote working works really well. We've been able to hire people from all over the country. So we've been able to find some really, really good people. And, you know, working remotely just makes it easier for people to juggle their their personal lives with their working lives so we give everybody complete flexibility and autonomy with their work and you know for us it works it's not always easy it's not easy managing a remote team we have to work really hard to make sure that everybody feels supported and that the communication across the business is really really good and that's something that we're still working on we definitely still haven't got it right but generally speaking, it makes sense. We're um, we're not spending money on expensive offices. Our staff aren't spending money on commuting, and you know it's better for the environment. So that there's just so many reasons why it works well. But it's not for everybody. You know, we do get people apply for roles with us who kind of say, actually, I don't think I want to work 100% remotely, and that's fine. And we do get together as well. So everybody has a budget, an annual budget for co-working space. So people kind of, depending on where they are in the UK, they'll they'll find colleagues that are, you know, in the same location and get together in a co-working space for a day. And we do encourage sort of people to do that as much as possible as well. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, I've noticed that social media has become a big part of the business and your brand and you as a person and as a brand ambassador have become so integral to the business. For you personally, do you feel like this is always a good thing or have there been times when you've just wanted to separate yourself from from the business in any way? I mean, I think, you know, social media has its good points and its bad points. 
and you kind of have to take it for what it is. I think as a tool for promoting promoting my personal brand and and the Stevenson Law brand, it's incredibly powerful and it's worked incredibly well for us. There are times when it can become a bit overwhelming sometimes if if you know I post something that's maybe a bit controversial or goes super super viral then you know it can be a bit controversial but it's just about managing that and you know sometimes I'll take a week off sometimes I'll take a bit longer off it just really depends on on how I'm feeling I don't sort of really put any pressure on myself but ultimately it's um it's definitely worth worth the effort and I think from a personal perspective, I, I get quite a lot out of it. I really enjoy engaging with the community that I have on LinkedIn. Um, and I've met lots of friends through it, made lots of sort of connections. And, and there's lots of good things that can come out of it as well. I think it's really great how, how open you are on your social media. And it's really great to see someone who's really transparent on social media, but there's also just themselves. Um, and I think that really comes through, you know, you're, you're very open about your experiences as a lawyer and you even speak about your tattoos as well, which is really nice. I'm just wondering how has the legal sector responded to you being, you know, unconventional fitting outside of what society usually perceives as a lawyer? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a bit like Marmite. You either love me or you hate me. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a lot of supporters out there, which I'm incredibly grateful for. There's a lot of people, you know, I think also it's partly being a bit of an underdog, I suppose, starting a law firm and taking on all of these big, well-established traditional law firms. I think there's always a bit of a tendency to try and support an underdog in that situation. And I've really seen that as well. And I think that there's lots of people that feel the same way as me and, and agree with what I say and can resonate with what I say. And actually, but I'm the only one that's really kind of putting myself out there and saying it. And I think that people appreciate that because it makes them realise that they're not alone in thinking and feeling the way that they are. But yeah, there's also lots of people that don't like me and don't agree with me, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you ever get sort of upset by trolls or people, you know, writing messages or not necessarily showing you love all the time on social media? No, not anymore. When you get to a certain size on social media, that negative aspect of it is inevitable. There's nothing that you can do or say to avoid it. I mean, you could literally write a post saying that the, you know, the sky is blue and somebody would argue that it wasn't. It just gets to that point. And I think to begin with, I did I did take it personally. I, I couldn't understand why people could be so mean. You know, they didn't know me. But now, you know, it's been a couple of years of dealing with it and it doesn't affect me anymore. Mm -hmm. that, that's really reassuring to hear, I guess. I always wonder what it's like for people with a big following on social media, because I think the way that our society is, you are just going to get a group of people who don't always have the nicest things to say about you. So, so yeah, it is nice to, to sort of hear that over time, you just get used to it. Coming back to a day in the life of Alice Stevenson, I'm kind of just wondering, what is it like managing the business? And do you still do much of the legal work involved in the business? Uh, I don't do any legal work anymore. I haven't done that for about two years now. So I'm 100% focused on, on running the business. My priorities really are overseeing our sales and marketing, our finances, and our operations as well. 
so our business operations and our people operations and then also working very closely with our senior leadership team to support them and to kind of engage them with you know what we're trying to achieve as a business and what we need them to do to help us really so those are those are my key my key roles really I'm also studying for an executive MBA so that obviously takes up a little bit of my time too so yeah I've always got stuff to do (laughs) (laughs) do you miss uh working in the sort of I I guess like the nitty-gritty legal aspect of it no, um, so I, you know, I did that intentionally. I, I knew that I didn't want to be a lawyer anymore, a practicing lawyer. So, you know, I built the business to put myself in a position where I didn't have to do that anymore. And no, I haven't missed it. You know, I did it for 10 years. I really enjoy being a businesswoman, running my business. You know, that's that's what I really love doing. And what can we expect uh, to see in the future for Stevenson Law? Oh, that's a good question. I get asked this a lot. I mean, to be honest, I don't really know is the answer. I don't plan too far ahead. I think whenever I have planned ahead, it never turns out the way that I've planned it. You know, I want to continue growing the business. That's the kind of immediate goal. But I really don't know where we'll be in the next five years, to be honest. I think the legal industry is changing very fast. Um, as a business, we're growing much faster than I ever thought that we would. And I really just enjoy seeing what opportunities present themselves for us and sort of evolving and adapting the business to suit those, really. It will be exciting to see what the firm does, just because it is so unconventional, I think, to see a firm in the, in the legal sector really going against the grain um, of what you know what we imagine when we think of a law firm. Which brings me to my next question, which is why is going against the grain within the corporate legal sector so important? Why is it important to kind of really challenge the ideas of of the corporate legal world? Well, I think it's for a lot of the reasons that I explained earlier about, you know, why I didn't want to work in, in a traditional law firm. You know, those are all the reasons why now I'm looking to to challenge those those perspectives and and ways of working and attitudes that people have because you know when I was working in private practice nobody really liked their job everybody would moan all the time about not enjoying what they you know they didn't want to be there they were just there because they needed to pay their bills and I was even told what at one point like you can't expect to enjoy your job Alice it's just the way it is and I've just always refused to accept that and I think you know being a lawyer doesn't have to be synonymous with being miserable in your job Um, we can create an environment that's actually people want to work in and people enjoy enjoy being there so you know I think that's very much part and parcel of what I'm trying to achieve Mm -hmm. yeah definitely many of our listeners would like to hear about how you juggle the lifestyle that you have you know you have your kids and and obviously I'm sure you know a social life outside of outside of running the business how do you juggle all of those different aspects of your life you know I have help I wouldn't be able to do it without help my husband he's got more flexibility than me he's studying for his PhD and he's doing some part-time university lecturing work so he's sort of very involved with the day-to-day with the children as well so so that's great 
We have an au pair that lives with us that helps us as well with the sort of day-to-day stuff. And I have a PA as well that, you know, helps me with all of the kind of life admin stuff that sort of takes over. So I think, you know, getting help is really important because it's just not possible to do it all yourself. And if I tried to do it all myself, then I would just, I would just kill myself. So it's being realistic about what you can do and what you can, you can have somebody else do for you. I think it's really important to set boundaries for yourself. You know, I could work all night, every night. I mean, my to-do list is never done. But having the discipline to set those boundaries and say, right, you know, half past eight, the laptop goes away um, and it's not coming back out again until the morning. And my phone stays downstairs when I go to bed and, and things like that is also really, really important. Yeah. And I think that's something since the pandemic, so many businesses have been, you know, flexible working, working from home, you know, setting those boundaries for people has been probably more challenging than perhaps going into an office and, you know, having that cut off time where you travel from work to home and and you have that sort of separation between the two. Is there anything that you've had to do within the firm or sort of maybe things that you've had to to create about setting those boundaries and really creating a healthy work work life balance um, and setting those boundaries yeah I mean I think it's very difficult to see how many hours everybody's working because we work so flexibly so if somebody sends an email at 10 o'clock at night it doesn't mean that they've been working from nine o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night they might have taken the afternoon off and spent it with their kids and then decided to finish their work in the evening so there's no kind of obvious red flags that somebody is struggling like that communication I think is really really important making sure that everybody in the team is supported that they've got a line manager that's got visibility of what they've got on and that everybody feels like they can say something if they're struggling and then I think we've also had to set expectations around things like responding to messages and emails and things like that because when you've got a business where messages are being sent not 24-7 but you know, they might be being sent up until 10 o'clock at night and then people might start sending them again at seven o'clock in the morning. We've definitely had the conversation where we've sort of said to people, you're not expected to reply to those messages if you're not working, because I think that does kind of put pressure on people that they feel like they have to jump on a message, especially if it comes from somebody senior in the business at 10 o'clock at night. But that's, you know, that's obviously not the not the intention. And we've made that clear. Mm-hmm. We're seeing more and more businesses adopt this approach to, to flexible working. But to you, why is this so important? You know, not just working from home, but working at any time in the day as well for, for what suits each individual. You know, I always resented when I was employed being told that I had to be sitting at a desk at nine o'clock in the morning. Um, it just never made any sense to me. So, you know, I think it's just about letting people manage their lives in the way that works best for them and ultimately that benefits the employees but it also benefits us as a business we're not all productive at the same times of day some people work better in the morning some people work better in the afternoons so it just gives people the flexibility to really adjust their working hours around not just their personal responsibilities but also you know what what works best for them 
Yeah, I think this style of working is is just a really interesting way of approaching work in, in general, which perhaps we wouldn't have seen if, you know, the pandemic didn't happen and, you know, it really restructured how we see work today. I just want to uh, go back to something that we spoke about, the, I guess, toxicity around gender roles and stereotypes within the law sector, specifically, uh, you know, as a woman and the prejudices uh, that you might have faced through all of your experiences. I mean, what was that like? And also, what do you think can be done to to change this? I think ultimately law firms need to adjust the way that they measure their lawyers' performance, they reward their lawyers' performance, they make their decisions around kind of promotion and things like that, because I think there's a lot of systemic bias in there that recognises and values the wrong metrics, the wrong things. I think that that more value, more emphasis needs to be put on leadership skills, for example, which just isn't isn't really done at the moment. There's a really good book um, called How Do So Many Men Become Incompetent Leaders or something like that. It's really interesting. And it talks very much about the traits that are most commonly associated with men are the traits that are most commonly used in promotion decisions. So I think I think there's a whole piece of work that needs to be done around that. But the problem is it's only really going to be driven by having more diversity at a senior level. So you've got this kind of chicken and egg situation where, you know, not enough women are getting to the top and therefore there's not enough women to drive the change that needs to be made. And therefore lots of women are leaving law altogether. So it's a really difficult, really complex situation. Um, And I certainly don't have all of the answers. I think awareness is obviously really important. I think it's kind of the first step, really. Um, And I sort of try and do my bit in the things that I say on social media and and in interviews like this. But I think I think there's a lot more that needs to be done and, and a lot more people need to kind of understand what the issues are and how they can play a part in resolving them. As you mentioned, even with the idea of having role models, it is like a chicken and egg situation where if there aren't, you know, role models getting into those positions in the first place, how will young people have anything to aspire to be or how will anyone have anything to aspire to be? Is there anything that you're doing within within the business that's sort of giving a platform or creating the space for marginalised people to get into law? You know, the culture that we have at Siemens Law is a very inclusive culture. We're very sort of welcoming of, of people from all walks of life. And I think rather than kind of having initiatives, you know, targeting different types of people or, you know, different ways of improving diversity, I think it really just it really comes from within the culture. And if you haven't got the culture right, then it's never really going to be successful, no matter how many initiatives that you have. So I think if you want to attract, you know, as many people from as many different backgrounds as possible, you have to present yourself as a very inclusive business. And that's what we work really hard to do. Great. If you could sum it up, maybe in a sentence, what's the defining thing that really impassions you to kind of get out of bed every morning and get to work? Um, 
I think it's just my team, really. I just really, you know, I have a really, really great team. I really enjoy working with them. You know, they keep me energized and excited about about what we're doing. And, and yeah, I think that's probably the main thing, really. Nice. Yeah, it sounds like there's a really nice working culture and environment at Stevenson Law, uh, which is always lovely to hear. Where can people follow your journey? What, what social media sites can people follow you on if they want to see what you're up to? Yeah, so I mean, LinkedIn is the main one. Um, I've also got my own website, alicedevenson.com, um, and a newsletter that you can sign up to for that as well. Um, and then there's obviously the Stevenson Law social media channels as well and newsletter that you can sign up to. So lots of different ways. Mm-hmm.